0: Hello and welcome to MacBytes episode 25. I'm Mike Thomas and I'm here with my co-host Elaine Giles. And in this episode, we'll be discussing some key news stories that affect Mac users, laughing at Microsoft once again, and completing our three-part series on supercharging the Finder. But before all that, let's catch up on last week's show. Yep, I
1: put a call out to our our sturdy listeners uh, for opinions on Log Me In and Stargate John got back to us, said he's used the service for two years. It's been really good that most people would be fine with the free version and he's used the iPhone version as well. And he says that's very good. So um, I'm thinking money spending is uh, about to occur. We also mentioned phone view. Uh, That was in relation to my iPhone photo problem, which is still cured. So um, it seemed to be a longer term cure than I thought. But we also said that it allows you to save text messages. And um, that's something I've used it for myself. In fact, you can pretty much get anything you like off your phone. And uh, Jane's bought the
0: app for that very purpose. So uh, I do hope it works well for you, Jane. And I've now set forklift to open at login, so it becomes my default file manager. Especially uh, useful this week, I've been moving a lot of files around between my external drives. And uh, you've got a little dirty secret you'd like to tell us about, haven't you? Oh, you said you wouldn't mention that. Mm, well, I've got to spell. OK, OK.
1: Hands up. I was caught using a word processor uh, for the first time for an absolute age, I might add. And? Well, it was Pages, and I hadn't used that a lot at all, like maybe twice. And um, I was seriously impressed with the templating capabilities. So impressed that I actually got the urge to make some templates.
0: Oh, my God. You'll be using Word next?
1: Uh, No. Just no to that. For more reasons than I have time to go into.
0: Well, that leads us nicely into our next story. Uh, Microsoft Update breaks Office for Mac. I'll put the full link on the show notes so you can all have a good laugh. But uh, Microsoft recently released Service Pack 2 for Office 2008 for Mac, and it makes it impossible for many users to open Office files created on PCs. In its release notes, Microsoft promised that it would improve stability, reliability and performance.
1: Well, indeed, it has by a Mac. Think of it as
0: an incentive. Unfortunately, what the release notes didn't say is that Service Pack 2 also makes it impossible for many Office 2008 for Mac users to open some .docx, .xlsx, and .pptx files created by PCs that are running Office 2007 for Windows and saving into the OpenXML format. Not all users who've installed the Service Pack are affected, and not all files are problematic. Microsoft is aware of the problem and has published a help and how to page that outlines some suggested fixes, including using an earlier version of Office to create and save files, reverting to a previous update level. uh, 12.1.9 was the most recent version or reinstalling Office 2008 for Mac from scratch and not updating Service Pack 2. The same help page says that Microsoft will release an update to fix the problem in August, exactly when in August, however, is not mentioned.
1: Sometime in August. Did they mention 2009 in there? Mm hmm. More likely for Microsoft, it's going to be sometime never.
0: It usually is
1: true. And um, what they didn't mention was um, aren't the same files perfectly usable in OpenOffice? They are indeed. So I think a better bet rather than trying to roll something back once you've service packed it would be even if you do use Microsoft Office to just use um, OpenOffice while you've got a problem and then go back to it later. I certainly wouldn't try and uninstall a service pack. And if you try and reinstall, I don't think you can deactivate. So um, you could have activation problems as well.
0: It reminds me of the Outlook issue you had a few years ago where the suggestion was uh, start again, wasn't it?
1: There was quite a few suggestions in that, wasn't there? There was about 10 suggestions to my problem, and I dutifully worked through each and every one. And, you know, as each one went down, I thought, maybe the next one, maybe the next one will fix it. And I got to number 10 and I thought, right, well, this is going to be the really serious one. And number 10 was delete the file and start again. So what I had, what they were suggesting was that I deleted um, my PST, which contained all my mail and created a new one. And I thought, and my mail, that would be in the old one. So uh, I, I'm not too hot on their um, what did you call it? Help and how to pages? Maybe not. But let's get back to something that stands a chance of working. Although, to be honest, I'm not sure it's quite there yet. Um, the iDisk for iPhone was released. I installed it straight away and I was initially impressed, to be honest, um, especially with the speed. But then I was testing a very small RTF file. And uh, larger files and file sharing, I found a bit problematic.
0: Yeah, as someone who is uh, out on the road, uh, although when I say out on the road, uh, working in a field with uh, a less than an edge signal, I actually look forward to using this. Um, I've got a number of those portable apps: AirShare, File Magnet, Documents to Go, and also Zumo Drive. And I'm eagerly awaiting Dropbox for the iPhone.
1: I've got all those, and I've got SugarSync and Mobile Files too.
0: Well, I've missed some. Looks like it. Mm. Well, I had speed issues with the iDisk uh, uploading from the Mac, and uh, so I was concerned that uh, the the uh, iPhone version would also have uh, speed issues as well. And I think I was actually proved right with my initial testing um, opening a file. It took about 15 seconds on the phone for a 460K PDF, and that was on Wi-Fi. And then I tried scrolling and I tried the pinch to zoom and it was non-responsive. And then I thought I'd get adventurous. So I tried to open a two meg PDF file that I'd copied up to the iDisk. So this was on the phone. It took about 45 seconds to load with the progress bar and then another 20 seconds to what I thought was going to be open. But in fact, before it opened, it crashed the app and closed itself. It does actually switch to landscape but again uh, I found speed issues with the the switch the, the flipping round.
1: That could actually be a 3G issue because I've heard the 3GS is much faster. So um, maybe somebody with a shiny new iPhone 3GS could confirm that. Now, let me think, who could that be? Yes, John, I'm looking at you, you lucky man. Um, If you've got the iDisk app, let us know how you're faring with it.
0: I did find that the app on the phone actually caches documents. So after the crash, I actually reopened it and it was faster.
1: Well, in addition to the speed issues, I had a couple of problems which were um, more fundamental. I tried to send you a link just to a very tiny file and um, it doesn't auto-complete the email address. So I either had to type the email address in in full or I had to go and select your contact card and then drill down another level through your email addresses. So um, I wasn't impressed with that. And then when I finally did get it sent with no password.
0: Yeah, it actually arrived and demanded a password. I clicked on it, tried to open it and it said enter the password and it wouldn't be persuaded otherwise. However, we then tried again and that time it worked. So. Well, bizarre. I love inconsistencies when it comes to problems like that. Yeah, about as much as me, I guess. And
1: another issue I had was just a 300K PDF file, and that it worked pretty well speed wise, you know, no crashes. Uh, it worked pretty well apart from not showing any of the embedded graphics at all.
0: No, I didn't have that problem because uh, the PDFs I used had graphics and that worked fine.
1: The ironic thing was this PDF was from Adobe, uh, giving me full guidelines for creating accessible documents. <laughs> so um, for me, it's getting there, but I don't think I'll be deleting all those other similar apps just yet. I do like the way that I can transfer files, though, because you use your iDisk anyway. And I don't like all those walled garden things that all the others have. So I'm, I'm hopeful in the future it will improve.
0: Talking to the iPhone, I was uh, sent a link today by my friend Aaron M uh, to freeappalert.com. And what it is, it's uh, iPhone apps that were paid for and have just become free. So I thought I'll go and take a, a look at this. To be honest, most of them are those cheap 99 cent ones or 59 pence ones in the UK. And also, when you click the link to go to iTunes, uh, some are free for a limited period. So you have got to be quick about it. And one or two don't show up as free. Now, whether that's because uh, iTunes just hadn't updated, I don't know. But it is a good site. So uh, go and have a look.
1: Yeah, they're on Twitter, too. So I followed them. Um, RSS was an option and that's what I would normally have done. But uh, I've got a bit of an RSS problem right now and I'm sure lots of others have as well. Um, It's been a story causing much comment and most of it negative. That's the news from Newsgator of changes to Net Newswire, which was my feed reader of choice. I've used it for years, um, ever since I got a Mac. But uh, hiding beneath a shiny new icon uh, is a completely different way of working. So, gone are several functions and synchronization via a NewsGator account. And in comes, well, not much to be honest, in the way of improved functionality, but you are required to synchronize via Google Reader. You know, there is no option even. So you've got no groups, no clippings, no folders, no iPhone synchronization via Google until they get a new version of the app in the store, and nor is it completely free. There will be a free version, but it serves up ads at you. The paid version will allow you to turn the ads off. Now, fair enough, you might say. But, and it's a big but for me, before NetNewsWire went free, it was a paid for app, and I paid for it. And not a couple of dollars either. It was about $30. $30. So since I didn't get a refund when it became free, I don't think I should have to pay again to turn the ads off. But so far, that's what it looks like I'll have to do to be ad free. So uh, bad form on all fronts there, and I can't see me using it for too
0: much longer. Yeah, I'm using it now. I've got it on the Mac and I've also got it on the phone. And I I do like it. Um, I actually set it up for all my uh, local news uh, sites, save me going to, to all these different websites. Uh, but I did use Newsfire. I think we got it in a bundle, didn't we?
1: I think we did very early bundle that one. And I tried yeah. it as well, but I had problems with it.
0: Mm. What I found with it was it opens uh, the the articles in a separate browser. Separate browser window, which actually opened behind the Newsfire window. Now, whether that's improved or changed, I don't know because I've not used it for a while. No, I haven't used it
1: for a while either, but um, it's probably worth a go. There's also Times as well, which was part of the recent Mac Heist bundle. Um, I don't think I even had a look at that above visiting the site.
0: I haven't looked at it because I thought at the time I'll stick with Net Newswire, but
1: it handles it in a very different way. Apparently um, it's called Times because it kind of delivers it to you as a newspaper.
0: Yeah, it's one of those where you you, you get it in the bundle and you may or may not use it. But, you know, now might be the time it comes into its own.
1: Yep, now we're on the hunt and we're looking around everything. There's also an open source one called Vienna,
0: which reminds me of Rigsby's
1: Cat. But uh, that's because I'm of that age.
0: I thought exactly the same thing when you mentioned it earlier.
1: (laughs) But like I say, it's certainly a time to have a look around at uh, what's available. I also had Ultravox going through my mind as well. Uh, I was just
0: going to say that.
1: But anyway, anyway, RSS, a, a topic for future shows, me thinks, when um, we've got ourselves sorted out. Obviously, I also have a couple of um, RSS feeds in my um, Mail app, but I can't see me managing as many RSS feeds as I was subscribed to in mail. I'm not sure that it's um, all there for that. I'm very selective in what RSSs I put in mail.
0: Talking of RSS and mail, you could always use Outlook or uh, IE7. Yeah, just just no, just no. OK, well, after the disgrace of being caught with a word processor, you were back on full geek form with one password this week, weren't you?
1: Absolutely. Yes, I recovered myself nicely there. Yeah, it was a great tip from the unofficial Apple weblog, And they discovered that the all new interface features, which are coming in version three of one password, some of which we've um, been given little sneaky previews of are actually already embedded in version two. So via a terminal command, you can uh, enable them in the version that you already have. So I dived in uh, after suitable backups, terminal backups, think terminal, think backup, and uh, it worked perfectly. So I've had a good look around the new interface, lots of changes, mostly for the better. And uh, I love the uh, new ability to tag entries and that uh, the notes interface looks fantastic as well. So um, it was well worth me having a look, uh, but I did back up first. Remember, backup, backup, And then when you've backed up, back up again. So are you not tempted to follow my lead?
0: I was actually going to do it this afternoon, but I decided against it. I wasn't brave enough to go terminal tinkering.
1: Well, like I say, uh, if you do make sure you back up first and um, keep a copy of the last version two data that you have just in case none of this rolling backup business where um today's backup gets overwritten by tomorrow's and so forth. You must keep that one separate. Um, Otherwise, you may be left with only version three formatted data. So um, look after your data. Where's the data kept for 1Password? Um, it's user specified. So by default, it's in user library application support 1Password. But uh, you can choose to move that. So uh, what I've seen a lot of people do is move it to Dropbox folder for cross-machine syncing. I haven't done that yet, but I have heard that it works very well.
0: But now it's time for the final part of our Supercharging Your Finder series. And last week, I almost had you beat on the question of FTP and Pathfinder. No, you didn't. We just ran out
1: of time. Uh, I will continue. Pathfinder does support FTP. Uh, You can open a remote location and you can save the password for that location to the keychain. Why I was sort of yes, no, maybe is it's it's a bit of a clunky implementation, I think, because um, there isn't much in the way of a mechanism to save the locations. So uh, you have to type the server details into the connect to server dialog box every time you want to connect, which um, isn't ideal.
0: Yeah, forklift similar when you want to set up a a connection to a remote server, um, you fill in the server details and there is an add to favorites checkbox. But if you forget to check it um, the next time you go in, you've then got to set up the server, the username, password again, uh, every time you want to connect.
1: That's a problem with a lot of these apps um, They either provide a proprietary system for connecting, so uh, you can connect to remote locations, but uh, it's proprietary and how you say how you save the details, what they call them they're all different in every version and every application, or they provide no ability co- to connect at all now, if each one's got a different separate proprietary system. Um, and you change your login details and I know we've had um, our hosting company change the password for us because they thought it was a good idea, then you could find yourself having to update that password in numerous places and uh, reinstalling also becomes a nightmare. I think we've got about 20 or 30 FTP locations minimum and um, you've got to set them all up again. So, best case, you get to re import them if there was any way to back them up in the first place. But, worst case, you've got to manually add them all again. So, that's where Expand Drive comes in. And Expand um, Drive allows you to treat remote drives as if they were local external storage attached to your computer. So, in effect, it's a bit like putting a pen drive in. You connect via Expand Drive. The drive appears in Finder and then you can use it as if it were a local drive. So there's no strange commands, no FTP client needed. Now, I can imagine some people might be thinking, so what? But it's actually huge in terms of functionality and convenience. Because here's what happens if you don't have expand drive. Um, I either have to download files from my remote drive to edit them. And then when I have finished editing them, upload them, which means I've got um, the original Versions, I've got the ones I've changed, I've got the ones I've uploaded, and then I start trying to back them all up and they've all got the same name. So I start making folders with silly names. Or I can keep a local copy of the files, I can make the changes to the local copies and then upload them and overwrite the remote files. Or, yes, there's another way. If and only if the editing application supports remote connections then I have to find my username, my password and any other required information. And I have to log in via their proprietary system, which may or may not be able to save. So um, in my case, I use BBEdit and BBEdit does have that feature. But I have to connect from within BBEdit. So as long as I'm editing um, the type of pages that be, that I do choose to edit with BBEdit, then I'm fine. But my CSS editor of choice doesn't support connecting remotely at all. So I'd have to try and do something different.
0: Yeah, I connect um, to FTP sites using Yummy FTP, uh, an FTP client. Uh, and what I do is I right click on the file uh, or double click it. And then I can choose to edit it in BBEdit or configure it to to any particular editor. Um, what I can do with the CSS is right click and say edit in um what it's called now.
1: You've forgotten the app, haven't you? CSS Edit.
0: CSS Edit, Mac Rabbit, I was going to say. <laughs> um, and that brings us back to uh, what else we were talking about last week.
1: No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. <laughs> anyway, um, I've done that in the past as well with um, Yummy. Uh, I like Yummy as an FTP client, it, it sort of does the job. The problem is that Yummy, like any other FTP client, uh, can just lose its connection to the remote location while you're in the middle of working on the file. Um, And that can be time based. You know, you've had it open 20 minutes and it's decided that's enough Um, or because the machine goes to sleep. And when it wakes up, the FTP client uh, has disconnected or generally just because the FTP client feels like it. I have found.
0: Yeah, I've had that happen Uh, depending on the server. Some servers will reconnect really quickly and some will take. It seems an age, but it's probably no more than about 30 seconds. But when you sat there, tapping your fingers, waiting for the, the connection to reconnect it, it can seem like an age to, to reconnect.
1: So with expand drive, um, this is where the supercharging your finder with it comes in, why it fits neatly into that category. Um, you create a connection to a remote location from within the expand drive drive manager. So you install expand drive. It puts a small icon in your menu bar. And from there, uh, you can elect to make a connection. So you get a simple dialog box where you put in all your details. The password can be saved to your keychain, So uh, you won't be asked for it again after the initial connection unless you want to be. So if you're on a shared machine or something like that, you can be. But once you're connected to that remote location, it appears in Finder and Forklift and Pathfinder and Save and Open Dialog dialog boxes and pretty much, to be honest, anywhere else you'd expect to see attached storage on your system, you get a color coded icon coded by type of connection that represents the location and um, that's shown wherever you need it to be, as I've just said, and you're good to go. So any application at all can access the remote location and edit files as, as required, just as if they were locally. So that's what I've done to enable Pathfinder to work sort of as an FTP client. I can connect to one or more remote locations at the same time and I'm not limited to one. And I can transfer files to them or from them from my local drive. Or I can even uh, transfer files between the two remote locations. Um, You wouldn't even know the the locations were remote.
0: Have you had any problems with the connection dropping?
1: No, it's really, really stable. Um, I was surprised how fast it is to connect. Some are fractionally slower, but I think that's a remote server. But when you get uh, when you when you do a comparison, and as I said, I've I've compared about 30 connections. um, The fastest server's remote, they just connect within one or two seconds. And once it's connected, it's incredibly stable. Um, I've had connections running for about 18 hours with no problems at all.
0: Well, on your recommendation, I decided to give it a try. And I've got it working with Forklift. Uh, If you remember last week, I said that Forklift has a special command that allows you to copy a file from one FTP server straight to another because Forklift also has the built in connect command to actually connect to an FTP server. So I've got two FTP separate servers in the two windows. And uh, once you've connected via expand drive, they just appear like you say in forklift, treated just like any other drives. And you can just do a normal drag and drop or use the copy or move buttons.
1: Yeah, it's really good. It works for FTP, SFTP and Amazon S3 as well. Um, I'd say it's an absolute must for anyone working with remote locations or websites. Um, It's cross-platform too. So uh, in a dire emergency when you are faced with working with a Windows box, uh, you're covered. It's thirty nine ninety five dollars and there's a very good video on their site as well, showing it in action. So if you actually uh, want to go and see it before you try it, there's a
0: video up there too. So you're tempting me to spend more money.
1: Yes. But it's software and it's so worth it. It's not as if it's shoes or anything termingly boring like that, is it?
0: And if that's not enough, you've been looking at more software. Always, always.
1: It's a spare time I've got from avoiding all the shoe shopping. Anyway, it's called Drop Zone and it's from aptonic.com. And I always used to use the send to menu on my uh, right click in Windows and it was really easy to configure. All you had to do was add shortcuts to the locations that you wanted to use to that hidden folder. And um, you were done. That was it. There was no step two. And I missed that for quick just copying and moving between locations.
0: So you found something, haven't you?
1: Of course. As I say, it's a relatively new application. It's called Drop Zone from Aptonic. It's not exactly the same, but uh, it's very useful and immensely configurable.
0: Go on then. My wallet can take it.
1: It's only $10, but uh, that is an introductory price. So don't take too long thinking about it. Uh, What you do is you run Drop Zone and it sits in your dock, ready for you to drag files over to it. Um, And when you do... It shows a fly out menu similar to a stack, but square. So, you know, you, you have options on a stack. Well, this is the square option through the square window. That's also showing my age, isn't it? Anyway, moving on. Um, it's, it displays a few icons. There's only a few, but remember, they are configurable. So uh, initially you get shared text where you can drag and drop a block of text from any application and uh, you drop it on the icon. It uploads it to a hosted service called Pastey. Although some people didn't think it was called pasty, <laughs> did they? No, no. Some people thought it was called pasty. But as I say, moving on, <laughs> ignoramus. So uneducated, um, aren't I? I know, I know. So it uh, adds it to this service called pasty and uh, it places the URL of um, the place it's uploaded it to on your clipboard. So you can go to an email and paste it in or you can go to Twitter and paste it in and uh, immediately people can go visit. The other thing you can do is uh, there's a zip and email option. So you can drag and drop anything onto that zip and email icon and it'll get zipped up and added to a new email as an attachment. And the third option is uh, install application. And as the name implies, it will install an application for you. But it's the configuration options that make it great for just quickly moving or copying files. So uh, you can right click on the dock icon for this drop zone, you can select preferences and then you can elect to add a destination. Now, each destination, um, it, a destination is the icon that's shown in the little square window. So initially you've got three and each destination has a name, an icon and an action. Uh, you decide on the name, you can call it what you like. Uh, the icons use are configurable and the actions, you've got a choice of actions. Uh, by default, you've got upload to Flickr FTP upload, install application, move files, open application, save text, share text and zip an email. And if they aren't enough, then you can download more and you can even create your own. There's lots of information up there about how to do that. But for me, the important two were copying and moving. So I've set up some locations that I frequently move and or copy files to. And that now it's just a matter of dragging and dropping them onto Drop Zone, waiting for the little menu to fly out and dropping them on the icon that I want. I don't have to bother navigating to a location via the Finder or Pathfinder or anything else. So for me, I found it great for backing up stuff Uh, and sharing files with you. It's one of those true set it and forget it apps. Um, Once you've done the setup, it feels like it's part of the OS and
0: you'll miss it when it's not there. Yeah, I had a look at Drop Zone today. It does look to be a good little app. And what I did is I went to the website and on there, there is a page of, um, well, it says extend on the menu. So I call them extensions. Uh, And you can download them straight from the website and then install them and most of them are free. For example, you've got one for TwitPic, so you just drag and drop a picture on onto this uh, TwitPic square on the flyout, and it will let you upload it to TwitPic. Uh, There's one for Bitly, so it'll uh, let you create a, a Bitly shortcut for a URL. And there's also one called Start the Screen Screensaver. So as long as Drop Zone is running, all you do is click the Drop Zone icon, the flyout flies out, and you click on the Start the Screen Saver um, icon. Uh, better than trying those hot corners, which I always found a bit hit and miss.
1: And um, they're certainly hit and miss for me with two twenty-four inch monitors. Mm. So is that it? No, no. One more thing. Um, I've always found it strange on a Mac, um, and uh, again, it fits nicely under the supercharging your finder. Um, I found it really strange that there's a lack of configurability of the context sensitive menu. You get open with, but that just seems to have a mind of its own. And um, I've had apps listed twice. I've had Windows apps listed and stuff I delete. No, not even delete. I app zap them and still they are listed. So um, I've always thought that very strange.
0: Yeah, I've found that when you have parallels uh, installed, then the right click menu lists all the Windows apps and that annoys me.
1: Well, it does annoy me greatly because the icons indicate that they're parallel shortcuts and that they are indicated. But they're just too small. So um you could have um the one that used to get me every time was QuickTime. There's a tiny, tiny parallels icon over it, but I always missed. So um it's not all Windows fault. Um I had Photoshop listed four times in there at one point and uh, there's no indication of whether I'm running the right version or not.
0: Yeah, you mentioned um, QuickTime and I was thinking of that and cross, other cross-platform apps. You uh, often end up or I ended up clicking the wrong version and then it, it starts running Parallels and you've either got a bomb out of it, which could cause a problem then next time you run Parallels or you've just got to sit and wait for Parallels to run and shut it down.
1: I know that that happened to me and it would try the patience of a saint. So that pretty much lets me out. Thank you. Uh, but it can be fixed. It can be fixed and for free as well. Um, how it happens, it's all to do with launch services and how it manages applications it thinks are available for use. So it searches not only your applications folder, but it searches elsewhere on the hard drive and other hard drives that it finds. And it includes um images, which was one of my problems. I'd super dupered my drive and suddenly found two of everything. So uh, and then when I had more images, hence three and four of everything. Now, the trick is you've got to force the OS to rebuild your launch services database. And there's a couple of ways to do this. The free one is to use the terminal command. So as ever, proceed with caution. It's a terminal command.
0: Terminal Uh, tinkering.
1: Yes, again, Um, I won't even bother trying to read it out. I'll put a link in the show notes, which uh, links to an article which explains all you need to know of uh, how to tinker in that regard.
0: And there's another method you said. You said this too, and I hope this one is terminalless.
1: Yep, indeed. I have seen an option to rebuild the launch services database in an app called Main Menu, which was free. Um, But recently it went paid for. But I do believe the free version is still out there if you can find a copy. And uh, that gives you lots and lots of uh, admin options for your machine. And one of them is just a simple one click menu to um, do the same thing. So I think the menu from memory says something like rebuild launch services. And uh, that's exactly what it does. So once you've done either of those, uh, your open with menu should be tidied up considerably. Of course, the same thing's going to happen again. Uh, time after time. So uh, a few other tips. Um, first of all, I decided not to reinstall Parallels or Fusion when I rebuilt my machine. So the Windows thing fixed itself. I was sure there was an option to disable the feature but it's sneakily turned on by default. So what you'd have to do if you do need to install Parallels or Fusion is make sure before you run it that you go into the definition of the virtual machine and somewhere in there, I'm sure there's an option not to show the installed applications in your right-click menu. Um, But another thing I've done is I've excluded my images from being indexed by Spotlight. Now, privacy options in your system preferences is one way to do this. Uh, You go into system preferences and you go to spotlight and you have two little options and one is privacy. Uh, And I found that to be erratic, being honest. I don't know if you've tried it. I haven't. Well, uh, what I decided to do, you're supposed to be able to um, add a drive to privacy and then take it out of being uh, a private and it should re-index the thing. But um, it didn't work too well for me. So what I did was I used an administrative tool called Spotless and uh, that lets you manage your spotlight indexes. So um, to be honest, the options you've got available in System Preferences for managing spotlight indexes are few to non-existent. So um, how I knew I had a problem. Um, I had this problem where I had a file that I knew was on a hard drive. But when I ran a spotlight search, um it didn't work. It didn't return this file. And I thought, well, I know it's on that drive. You know, it's on my documents drive. It's got to be there. So I actually thought, oh, you know, don't be lazy. Go find it. So I manually went and found the file and yes, it was there. But when I did a spotlight search for its full name, I wasn't relying on it indexing inside the file, but for its full name, it couldn't find it. It did not come back in the results. So um, supposedly this enabling privacy and then disabling it is supposed to re-index but it didn't work so i had a look around and i thought "Mm, there isn't much else i can do and it just would not find this file so um, i used spotless to delete the index on the drive and then i rebuilt it from scratch and that worked perfectly Uh, when i ran the spotlight search again the file in question was returned in the results so um, that worked great
0: Yeah, I had a similar problem. Uh, Spotlight wouldn't return any mail items or uh, wouldn't return the mail items. I was expecting it to return uh, in a search, but uh, you fixed that one for me.
1: That was Spotlight misbehaving, but it was a bit more complicated than that. So um, I think we should save that one for a show on mail um, because
0: it might even get worse with Snow Leopard. Who knows? Mm, Good idea. Well, apart from missing file, uh, which you might not know which was missing if you work with as many files as we do, how would you know your index would need rebuilding?
1: Well, you could create a deliberately uniquely named file on the drive in question and then search for it. Um, But if you have done that, then that might get added to the index and it might falsely give you the impression that it's okay. So I found a more accurate indicator is to um, check if a drive can display the size of the folders correctly. Um, If it can't, I delete and rebuild the index. And every time I've done that, it's fixed it for me. So what's the command to do that? Right. You open a finder window, you locate the drive, you press command and J or view show view options, and that displays the preferences window and towards the bottom of it. There's an option to put a tick in the calculate all sizes box. So once you do that, what you should see if um, everything's working fine with your drive is that it it may take a few seconds depending on the size of the folders and the size of the drive. You should see the size of all the folders displayed. Um, I found when I had a problem, it was missing one or two folders and it just would not calculate the size of these folders. And uh, what I was thinking of doing this was early on in my Mac ownership days. I was thinking of moving all the data off it and reformatting it and then putting it back. And then when I had this problem with the um, file that it couldn't find, I noticed that um, re-indexing it, deleting the index and re-indexing it from scratch fixed that problem as well. So uh, whenever I uh, run a quick check as I'm going through my sysadmin checklist, As um, I go through it, I check to see uh, if it can calculate the folder sizes. And if it can't, I use that as an indication that there's potentially something wrong with the index. And uh, out comes Spotlight, uh, Spotless rather. And um, it gives you an indication of the health of your um, index as well. So it's a bit of an admin tool, but uh, well worthwhile. We we should do a show on all these little tools and uh, go through them all.
0: Yeah, I've just found that um, Forklift also allows you to do to to do that. Uh, you go to file, calculate size, having selected a folder or folders or files. And it does that. Uh, so I'll try that. And who knows? I might find a whole load of problems I can dump on my sysadmins doorstep. But but that's me. <gasps> what have I done? Well, whilst you think about that, let's go into the feedback and comments. And uh, Amanda, Amanda said she loved the show and made mention of the adult toys. And you had something to say about that, didn't you?
1: Yes, absolutely. Good catch, Amanda. She went to the shy site and uh, found the prices, which could only be described as absolutely exorbitant. And you said? I said for two of those, you could buy a Mac Mini. Mm, that will
0: probably excite you much more.
1: Oh, dear. Yes, moving on, moving on. Um, Yes, it was great to hear from Bob. Um, I hope you're enjoying using Pathfinder as much as I do. And uh, yes, there are many options to explore, so uh, you could be a while. So uh, I hope you enjoy it and uh, let us know how you get on.
0: Yeah, and thank you to everyone for all your feedback on to events. The next MacBytes live event is on the 13th of August, which is the day after my birthday. So I get that oh, in.
1: Hint, hint. Get that in.
0: When Elaine's going to be showing you how to get the best from your holiday photos. So uh, go to MacBytes.co.uk slash live at uh, eight o'clock in the evening BST to join in on that. And for details of this and all our other events, you can find those on digital-IQ.co.uk.
1: You always forget to say that the room is open earlier for chat and that's Mm. when we have great fun. So uh, we'll probably be open from uh, just about before quarter to eight for a good old chat.
0: We will. And we'll stick around afterwards for some more chat. Oh, We always stick around afterwards for some more chat.
1: And we usually have a fantastic time we do. like we did this week with uh, our inbox zero. That went very, very well. We had lots of people in there and uh, we had uh, a good time. Uh, as I mentioned last week, I was incredibly grateful when uh, that inbox zero event arrived. I was going stir crazy, keeping spam for demo purposes. And uh, by the time of the demo, I'd been collecting it for just fourteen days, and it felt like eternity. Uh, I had thirteen hundred spams, so um, I was doing this demo uh, on my live inbox, which was very dangerous. But um, I did, I did, and um, it gave me great pleasure to delete the lot during the demo.
0: Well, my spam count wasn't as bad. I had about five hundred over ten days. Although talking about. Uh, inbox zero mail i i had inbox zero this afternoon and half an hour later i had inbox three and the three mails were mails that i know i definitely deleted they moved themselves out of the trash really <laughs> it wasn't you it wasn't <laughs> me no Speaking. no
1: i actually had um email from four people after the event Now, they could have just been trying to annoy me um, and and make sure that I didn't have inbox zero for too long. But uh, all four of them said pretty much the same thing, which was when you did that demo tonight, was that really your inbox? So can you verify for people that really was my real inbox?
0: That really was your real inbox.
1: Yeah. The only thing I did was um, I had three mail accounts and uh, you were sending me test mails while we were demoing. Um, But all I did was take two accounts offline. So actually, it was my real inbox, um, less live mail coming in because, you know, you never know what somebody's going to send you on a live demo, do you to your public email address? So um, I did take two accounts offline, but no, the rest of it, there was about 60, 70 emails in there. The rest of it was all true. It was really my email. It was really done live. But as promised, um, we have our competition uh, that we started running last week and we've had some entries to as well. Um, It is to win a copy of Voila from Global Delight. And uh, you can explain what they have to do to win a copy of said software.
0: You go to globaldelight.com, you download the trial version of Voila, test it out and tell us what feature you would find most useful and what you would find it for, what you would use it for and you add your entry
1: to the link in the show notes uh, which is there from last week and will be there this week and you will also find it on the homepage of macbytes.co.uk and uh, that's going to link to our upcoming full review of Waller yes I know I said that last week um, but there are so many features in there I actually spent more time playing with it than um, writing the
0: review but I promise this week I will spend more time writing and less time playing And because we've had some people say that they've been on holiday and they want to try it, uh, we're extending the closing date by a week to Saturday the 15th of August. Yeah, I think that's uh, just fair, isn't it? And next week, we're going to be looking at something that got Elaine more excited than the Shy products and the Mac Mini put together.
1: Info panel, info panel, info panel, yay!
0: Oh, God.
1: I know, I know. But look, after two years of agony trying to use that horrendous bubble in iCal, I've got my info paddle back.
0: Oh, I'm so happy for you. Thank you. Is this some iCal update that I've missed?
1: No. No, it's a completely new calendar app for the Mac from the nice people, the really, really nice people, Busy uh, Mac. BusyMac. Uh, they make BusySync, which we've used for ages. And uh, it's not even out of beta yet, but it's a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant application. So um, tune in next week. For you, you sort of
0: eulogising about the info panel.
1: Well, I was going to say for a full, in-depth, considered, sane review, but your assessment might actually be much
0: more accurate. Mm, sounds about right. Well, that's it for this week's episode of MacBytes. And as always, we'd love to hear from you. So please send us your questions and comments and queries by email to macbytesuk@gmail.com. Send us an audio file. We'd actually love to hear some voices and we have a contact form on the website. So there's another way that you can um, get hold of us and let us know what you think. You can also keep up with what we're doing via the website at matbytes.co.uk and via Twitter at uh, Twitter.com slash You can follow me personally on Twitter at Twitter.com Thomas.Mike. Sorry, Thomas Mike. You'll get that right, yeah. Yes. And you can follow me at twitter.com slash info No, no,
1: no. <laughs> twitter.com slash Elaine Giles. I'm going to register that now.
0: <laughs> so until the next time, this has been Mike and Elaine bringing you MacBytes. Goodbye and see you next time.
1: Info panel, info panel, info panel. Oh, right. See you next time. Bye.